All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the third day of November 2020. I will have a brief comment or two to make about the presidential election in a few minutes from now. But uh, now I want to thank all of you for listening to this show and making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically possible. Benchmark Metals, NV Gold, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp, Lion One Metals, Grand Portage, GMV Minerals, and SK Mining Corp. are the sponsors for this week's show. Regarding our sponsors, GMV Minerals published an updated economic study on its Mexican hat project in Arizona. At the current gold price of $1,900, the Mexican hat project returns a pre-tax internal rate of return of 58.3% or 44.3% after tax and a pre-net present value of 5% discounted one of $265.1 million, that's after a tax uh, NPV of $182 million, with a payback in 2.1 years for a 10-year mine life. Now, it should be noted that the company has considerable potential to enlarge this deposit, and with that, enhance the economics still further. But suffice it to say that compared to a 5% discounted after-tax present value of $182, the company's current share price which gives it a market cap of a mere $15 million in Canadian money or $12 million in U.S. money, suggests the stock is hugely undervalued. And I do expect to talk more about GMV in my weekly newsletter that will be going out on Saturday. For the sake of disclosure, I should mention that I have purchased shares of GMV, as is the case with all the companies that are sponsors to this show, and all of them are also covered in my newsletter first before they become sponsors. I do like to vet the companies before they're sponsors. I vet them for my uh, subscribers and for my own portfolio as well before you hear about them. I also want to mention another company that I think deserves a great deal of attention, and that is New Legacy Gold, NRG in Toronto, NULGF in the U.S. New Legacy is not currently a sponsor to this show, but it is a company I cover in my newsletter and one I own personally. Dr. Quentin Henning, who is a technical advisor to New Legacy, suggested that investors should be watching this story as the drilling on the company's Red Hill project that's located just uh, just south of uh, several 10 million ounce gold deposits along the Battle Mountain trend 
is progressing very rapidly. That is, the drilling is coming along very rapidly, and Quentin thinks people should keep their eyes on this story. Now, to understand why Dr. Henning and his team at New Legacy are so excited about the exploration project, uh, you can view a Zoom interview that I did with Quentin by going to the video page at J. Taylor Media or watch it on my YouTube channel, J. Taylor Media. Speaking of Dr. Henning, he will be with me during the second segment of today's show to provide an update on Novo Resources as that company progresses towards production during the first quarter, he suggests during the early part of the first quarter of 2021. Before I talk more about today's show, let me just pass along my thoughts about the election today in the United States. I don't need to tell you that this election is considered by many, if not most Americans, leaning either Democrat or towards Democrats or towards the Republican side to be the most consequential election since the Civil War. On the other hand, John Rubino, who was a great guest, who was a, a recent guest on this show on October 20th, suggested that, uh, that it is the least important election of our lifetime. That seemed like a pretty controversial statement, so John was on the show to talk about it. And from an economic point of view, I tend to agree with John in the sense that whoever wins the presidency and controls the U.S. government will be faced with the worst economic scenario since the Great Depression. Now, I know Donald Trump isn't telling you that. That's what I believe. No matter who's in the White House, they're going to be facing some huge economic headwinds. So whoever wins the White House is likely to be blamed, I think, for the suffering that lies ahead. And we Americans, and indeed the entire Western world, are now facing an enormous, are enormously difficult economic times thanks to, it, I believe, thanks very largely to the uh, detachment of gold from money. Without the dis- discipline of gold and by abusing the great military power of America post-World War II, both major political parties in the U.S. took advantage of our place in the world to force other countries to use the dollar for international exchange. For many decades, we were able to live beyond our means as the United States, here in the United States, by thanks to the willingness of foreigners to relend those dollars that they earned from our constant trade deficits, uh, to relend them back to the U.S. Treasury. Those days are now seemingly coming to an end, and we in the United States are now going to have to face an economic downturn, I believe, the likes of which we have not witnessed in the U.S., since the 1930s. The question that the election today will at least partly answer is how we will as a nation deal with a level of hardships that very few, if any, Americans alive today have experienced. Regarding the ability to bounce back economically, Ron Paul used to say, quote, if we are free, we will will become prosperous as a nation. But if the government takes that freedom away from us, we will become enslaved and impoverished, end of quote. Well, our founding fathers gave us a constitution with checks and balances designed to keep us free from the heavy hand of government that limited the ability of the masses to be free and prosperous according to their God-given abilities. There were many institutions that were put in place by our founders to keep government from becoming a tyrannical abuser of its citizens. And I will mention just a couple of them that the progressive wing of the Democrat Party now want to remove. The Electoral College, for example which, if eliminated, would mean that all the red states in, the, in America now will become enslaved because they will no longer have an, any representation in the executive branch of our government. The uh, packing of the su- Supreme Court is another, another institution that the uh, progressives apparently want to do away with. 
if that is to if that were to happen, what it re- essentially would do uh, by packing the Supreme Court with left wing uh, justices, it would essentially remove the Supreme Court as a check and balance a check against the power of the exec of the uh, well of the executive and of the legislative branches of government. So, by get by removing the executive uh, from having any concerns for people living in less populated states, and by eliminating the Supreme Court. Uh, Progressives will have eliminated the checks and balances, most of them that are remaining. Under this scenario, in theory, the progressives, uh, if they were to have a 51% majority and they wish to have the 49% of the population put to death, there would be nothing standing in the way of that. Such is the way of totalitarian governments, and we have had several examples of communist and fascist governments over the past hundred years or so that have done that sort of thing. An important event paving the way for a totalitarian government is the removal of the freedom to worship God, because for totalitarian governments, the state has to replace God as a solution to humankind's problems. And tyrants thrive. Really, they do. They thrive on people being dependent on them. So if people are dependent on God and their own uh, skills and talents to, to go it alone, then government becomes less necessary, hence the need to keep people enslaved by those that want to rule over them. So in the U.S. Declaration of Independence, it was noted that our freedoms come from God, not from man. Those were the concerns of our founding fathers, which is why they put in place all the checks and balances that now frustrate the desire of progressives to grab dictatorial power to rule over America. To and Americans that they don't like, the deplorables, I guess, they were called once. So while I agree with John Rubino that in terms of the future of the U.S. economy, the outcome of the election today may not be all that important, in terms of the structure of our government, the removal of the remaining checks and balances, and with that, a move towards a yet-to-be-defined American dictatorship is extremely important. Certainly, the ability of this radio program and many other conservatives to continue to speak freely will likely depend on which side wins the November 3rd uh, election, the election that's being held today, especially if the Senate and the House were to both change parties. Now, I should note that this program's First Amendment rights have already been violated by YouTube when they removed an interview I did a few weeks back with James Perloff. A continued move to the left is most certain to remove what remains of our First Amendment rights as Americans. Unthinkable to me as a 73-year-old who always believed that the First Amendment was by far the most important uh, ingredient and and amendment to the Constitution. Well, as for today's show, I've titled it Preparing for a Monetary Reset. Alistair McLeod and Dr. Quentin Henning return as my guests today. As noted in just a few minutes from now, Dr. Henning will join me to provide an update on Novo Resources. That's a company that is moving very rapidly towards production at its Beaton's Creek project in Western Australia. And in the second half of today's show, Alistair McLeod joins me to discuss why a monetary reset of some kind is all but inevitable. Now, he has warned about the demise of the dollar some months ago on this show. More recently, he has talked about the inevitability of an end of the euro and the end of his own currency, the British pound. I want to ask Alistair why the destruction of the current fiat system is inevitable and what he thinks will replace the current global monetary system. We are going to take a commercial break now, but don't go away because when we come back, Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me to talk about Nova Resources as it moves towards Beaton's Creek production and a lot of other really exciting things going on with that company as they expand their production to the West 
um, in a lot of different ways. Uh, Dr. Henning will explain right after we come back from the break. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Dr. Quentin Henning today. Uh, he's here today to update us on Novo Resources, which is now moving towards production on the first of at least three major targets that it is developing in Western Australia. The company plans to start production on its Beaton Creek, uh, its Beaton's Creek project in the first quarter of 2021, and it seems to me that there is an enormous amount of blue sky potential for the company over the years to come. Uh, Novo is trading in Toronto. NVO is a symbol. In the U.S., you can buy it as I have under the symbol NSRPF. Uh, approximately 213 million shares out, uh, around $2.35 in U.S. money. And giving it a market cap around a half a billion dollars, which is a pretty, pretty nice market cap for an exploration company, although... Novo, as I just stated, is heading into production. You know, the stock has been trading around two twenty-five to three dollars since July, somewhere in that range in U.S. money, uh, and it's holding, as I say, a market cap around a half a billion dollars, five hundred million dollars or so. It's a pretty, pretty solid market cap for a junior exploration company. But as I said, we want to find out um, the transition from exploration to production is what the company's been focused on now and, and making a lot of progress. So I'm really pleased to have Quentin Henning with me once again to give us an update on what I think is going to be a, a really great story in the years to come. Thanks for joining me again, Quentin. Thank you, Jay. You know, the last time we talked, uh, you announced that Novo had just acquired the mill, a mill, that, and that really was an important milestone for the company in executing your near-term and longer-term business plans. What can you tell us uh, in terms of your uh, move towards production and, and getting that mill ready right now towards uh, Q1 production at Beaton's Creek? Yeah, look, uh, I'd be happy to give you an update. There's been a lot go on over the past uh probably approximately three months, I believe, since we interviewed last. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have completed the transaction. We, we had a financing associated with that, so we raised money both through an equity raise as well as a, a lending facility with Sprott Lending. Uh, we are now capitalized to get this thing into production. That was very important. One wanted to make sure that we could close the transaction but also have enough capital to achieve our goal here. You mm-hmm. don't want to kind of, you know, have a false start. So we... 
we raised the uh, su- sufficient money. We do have uh, now we've hired a full-on team. We've announced several new hires recently. Uh, these include a general manager whose name is Chris Martin, a uh, solid guy. He's run gold mines in Australia. He's worked at development stage, you know, like we are right now, as well as operating mines. Uh, look, we, we have, and now he's building a solid team underneath him in turn. So we've we've added uh, many people. We're basically transitioning uh, to a producing company from an explorer. And, you know, this is a big leap. This is not uh, not all that common in the mining space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, most companies that try this uh, struggle. Uh, but I, I would say we're going to be the exception. Uh, everybody that knows Noble knows that we, we hired Rob Humphrey some about three years ago. Uh, and I brought Rob in at that time, even though we were still in Explorer, it, it was a critical time for us because I could see the need to get into production within a, a couple of years' time. Okay, now that has been Rob's main function, main purpose, main directive inside of Nova is building that team we need, but also making some of the uh, moves in the background that, that probably nobody will ever notice, you know, things like permitting and things like uh, native title work. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the hard yards that need to be done. Okay, now because Rob joined us at that critical time, it put us in a, in a much, much better position. We're not just going at this like cowboys. We have a very solid plan. We have a solid plan to get Beaton's Creek into production. We've actually got the thing fully permitted. Uh, it is a shovel-ready project. Okay, we knew this day was coming. What we're doing right now, you can see updates. We, we are going to try to update the market on a routine basis, perhaps every two to three weeks, with an update around the development activities. Uh, right now, the main focus for the company is, is uh, reconditioning the mills, so we're doing things like relining the, the leach tanks and so forth. And then we'll be putting in the gravity circuit soon, a beefier gravity circuit. We've got a lot of coarse gold we've got to catch, uh, things like that. But that mill will be ready uh, early next year. Approximately January, maybe to mid-February in that window. That's my bet. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay. Well, what can you tell us? I know um, you have to be careful about forward-looking statements and you know what the prospects are, but can you give our listeners some sense of what they might expect or what you think is possible for Novo to achieve in terms of production? And, uh, and I know that you've done some economic studies uh, some time ago, so you might have some some level of understanding or, or ideas about um, what it might cost per per ton and that sort of thing. Can you just perhaps give a, a, a brief overview of, of the possible levels of production and possible costs sure. like, to the extent you're able to under? Yeah, okay. I uh, we have not put out uh, economic guidance, nor have we put out uh, an economic study. You know, so I'll be cautious in that regard. Sure. But here's what I can say, okay? We, you know, the, the Nulligan Mill was operated by Millennium for a little over seven years, and the costs of operating in this district are, are solid. They're well known, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Millennium published their, their operating costs every quarter. So we have that data, okay? Okay, now the uh, the operation at Nulligan, and this includes all the overheads, the corporate overheads for Millennium, you know, for over the last seven years. Came to about 135 million Australian dollars per year, each of those seven years on average. Mm-hmm. All right, so I think Novo can easily achieve those levels of op- operating costs. I think our team can do as good or perhaps even better. Okay, now let's talk about the mill. The mill uh, operated at about 1.88 million tons per annum on average over the past five years. We've got solid data behind that. So if we achieve that kind of throughput. 
you know, at, at grades of say two to two and a half, maybe three grams at times, uh, you can see what that means to us. I mean, it could mean considerable uh, production. We have to consider our metallurgy as well. Millennium's recovery is, I believe, we're in the the 90% range. We expect higher recoveries. We've done a lot of metallurgical work that indicates we should see recoveries north of 95% out of the beaten streak mineralization. Mm-hmm. Look, these are all these are all just basic facts that have been published that have been talked about, but it it should be easy for people to start to to consider what kind of uh, you know what kind of uh, throughput or output the mill should have in terms of production, but also what kind of cost we should be looking at. Now, uh, on that note. Uh, you know, one of the conditions of our second tranche of the lending facility with Sprott is uh, to generate a PFS. Now, we're not necessarily saying we need to pull in that second tranche, but uh, we as a company recognize we have to take all of this hard work we've been doing in the background mm-hmm. and actually formalize it as a PFS. So we are working towards that uh, goal. Uh, that should be ready sometime in Q1, about the time we go into production. Oh, good. And that will allow us to speak more fully about, uh, you know, economics and so forth. Right, exactly. So a pre-feasibility study is what PFS is for the benefit of those that may not be that uh, familiar with mining terms. So <clears throat> this is really exciting, but longer term, um, I know the mill factors into the bigger picture as well, not just Beaton's Creek. And you have talked previously about tremendous amounts of exploration potential at Beaton's Creek. But I'd like to ask you about mechanical sorting, because you also have talked about the ability to concentrate, using mechanical sorting, concentrate the very coarse-grade gold over at Caratha to the west, uh, I don't know, a couple hundred kilometers, maybe a long ways to the west, but concentrate that down into something like, I think you said, like 3% of the mass contains most, if not all, of the gold. Ship that then over to Beaton's Creek and push that through the mill, which might possibly uh, really increase your gold production with, I would think, good costs, but uh, can you give us an idea of how your uh, the mechanical sorting is coming along? Because I know it is a new technology in terms of in terms of application of these kind of projects in the gold mining space. Um, But what can you tell us about mechanical sorting? I know you just recently put out some more news related to that. We did. We gave an update. Look, uh, we have a a mechanical sorter that we've ordered from. Uh, Steiner, it's been manufactured and it's actually being, it's currently being shipped to Australia. It's in transit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should arrive here in a few weeks and, uh, that, that machine will be going up to Caratha and working on our trial mining and, and processing, uh, endeavor early next year. Okay. So in the meantime, what we have or what we've been doing is working with the Steiner machine that is in Perth. Steiner has graciously offered to allow us to do test work. At their facility, uh, it's in, in a suburb of Perth. Uh, they have a machine on site. It's comparable to the one that we're going to be using in the field. Uh, but it's allowed us to do some preliminary test work uh, to kind of gear up for that, that field test that we're, we've got coming next year. Okay, so one of the things that uh, was, uh, you know, not doable, we'll say, about two years ago when we first tried mechanical sorting was dealing with the finer fraction of material. So when you crush rock, you produce coarse material, you produce you know some some mid-sized material, and then you produce fine material. It's just the nature of crushing rock. Okay, so what you do is you screen, and then you 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 actually um, take the different size fractions using different screens, and you put th- put those uh, different size fractions through the sorter. So you might say do everything over 
50 mil, millimeters, for example, mm-hmm. is one batch. And then you might do everything, say, between, uh, you know, 20 or sorry, uh, yeah, eight, eight millimeters and 50 millimeters as a mm-hmm. second batch. But it was that sub eight millimeter fraction in particular, the, the very fine stuff, basically pea gravel size stuff that was not sortable a couple of years ago. We, we could not sort it. And that represents maybe 30% of the, the total mass of the crushed material. Okay. So we, we have worked with Steiner here recently to refine the, the sort of the scanning and sorting uh, abilities of the equipment. And we've now successfully managed to sort that fine grain material. It not only picks the gold or particles of rock with the gold, it also can see these very fine halos of gold. And we were able to effectively sort uh, particles of rock that have that little halo of fine gold uh, in them. All right, so this is a huge win for us. It means we can sort virtually everything that we that comes out of the ground. We can crush it, screen it, and sort all. It also means that we should see enhanced recoveries overall when we go to do our test mine next year. Uh, this is a huge win. So, Karatha, why are we doing all this work? We want to put it in production. We can see, just like you said, a situation where we mine, crush, screen, and sort this material, ship it to Nulligan as a concentrate, and put it through the mill. We've got a mill now, Jay. I mean, this is a no-brainer. Okay, we can look mining and, and crushing, screening, and sorting, and then, uh, you know, shipping is, is cheap as chips, quite frankly. Uh, you know, so we're talking about a, a glorified gravel operation. Think of it that way, in which we produce a concentrate, ship it to Nulligan, and that increases our production. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a wonderful outcome for Karatha. Uh, one of the things I'm very happy about is we've worked uh, very constructively with Nalama, the community there at Karatha, recently, and we got their acceptance of this proposal. Uh, we're delighted to be working with them. Uh, we think, given this uh, this acceptance by Nalama, uh, we can see now getting this uh, project uh, more fast track. We'll call it through the other, you know, the permitting regime. Is, uh, you know, obviously the government's going to see that support and be uh, be all in favor of of this project moving forward. We're we're, uh, we're looking at the big picture, Jay. I mean, yeah. that's you know, we've been working hard on all of these projects. Edging is, you know, I don't want to neglect it. We've been working hard out there. We've got a lot of different scales of bulk sampling going on right now. Um, we have had, you know, this has been a, a, a challenge trying to staff up. We've got uh, people, uh, you know, we've had to pull from Edgina, put on Beaton's Creek mm-hmm. and back and so forth. So it's been a, a growth phase, but we're, we're making it work, and we'll have news on all of these fronts here very soon. Mm-hmm. Just want to ask you, uh, maybe it's an impossible question to answer, but uh, if, if assuming that your field testing with your mechanical sorting at Edgina works, I mean, not at Edgina, at uh, Karatha Works. Uh, any idea of how soon you might be able to move that material to concentrate over for production? Look, uh, we're going to do this test mine uh, mm-hmm. next next year, obviously. Uh-huh. And, and we will t- treat those uh, concentrates that we generate from the test mine at Nulligan. That's our plan. Mm-hmm. Now, we hope that we can then, if that proves successful, we hope that we can fast track, i.e., within a, a year, say, be actually working in the commercial level uh, in the Karatha area. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that would be a huge win for us. As I said earlier, that's going to increase our production uh, dramatically mm-hmm. just from that project. Yeah, possibly 2022 then, maybe. I mean, it's hard to say yet at this stage. Look, you, you know, with Nelema's support, I think we can move the project forward relatively fast, yes. Yeah. All right. And and so I think you answered the question. Edgina, a tremendous 
uh, and a tremendous potential there as well. I'd like you to give our listeners just some sense of the scale of these three different projects. If you could just take a minute or two to talk about that. I know you, you've talked about, uh, about uh, Beaton's Creek, the various other targets around Beaton's Creek, but Beaton's Creek where you have the current resource, you can expand that. But to me, the, the idea of Caratha and Edgina both are vast. They, they seem to be have vast potential. It has not yet been, of course, quantified. But could you give our listeners just some sense of, of the scale of these three different target areas? Sure. Look, let's start at Beaton's Creek because that's where our baseload is going to come mm-hmm. from. So at Beaton's Creek, we've announced some news recently that shows the the conglomerates do extend further into the basin. There's no question. So we see uh, excellent opportunity to grow the resource there. I, I would say we can grow the resource by 50 to 100 percent over the next couple of years. That's a huge win. Like you said, there's lots of projects in the East Pilbara region that we control. We now see ability to move those forward very fast on the back of this. Okay, so things like Tauga Tauga, things like uh, Virgin Creek, Contact Creek, and so forth, those will all benefit from this. Now let's go over to Caratha. Caratha, uh, very clear picture now. It will do the test mine early next year. If it's successful, we can move that towards commercial production. And the concentrates, once again, can be shipped to Nulligan and put through the mill. All right, so that's uh, the clear path for Caratha. Uh, Now let's go to Edgina. Mm -hmm. Edgina, we're doing some systematic bulk sampling in certain areas on the the basis that we want to go trial mining uh, very soon, probably next year. That trial mine would allow us to test various mining, uh, you know, techniques or machinery and so forth, but also test processing techniques. Uh, the bulk sampling that we're doing right now is geared to help us evaluate where and how we would do this. Uh, that then would translate into, you know, hopefully moving towards commercial production over the next couple of years as well. Like we, we see all of these uh, projects progressing more or less at, uh, at the same, in the same fashion, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Require trial mining. Every single one of them has. Uh, once we get our, our our legs on each of, uh, under each you know project, then we can move them towards commercial production. But you know my my vision for Novo is within the next few years, Novo's a, a major mid tier producer uh, focused in the Pilbara. It's not to say that's going to necessarily be exclusive. And people know that we have some other things brewing, but uh, the Pilbara is certainly going to be our foundation. Yeah, you certainly do have some other things. Going, we don't have time to talk about them now, but I certainly cover them in my newsletter, and I uh, maybe sometime we can talk about that in the future. Just one quick question, yet, Quentin, um, concerning you—you you mentioned the financing. You want to make sure that you are well financed so that you don't do a, you know, a half-baked job, and you make sure that you're, you know, improve your chances of success. Uh, are is there still some prospect for more share dilution, or or do you think if everything goes well? That that might be minimized. Look, we we budgeted this fairly well when we uh, laid out plans. So everything we've done in the past three months uh, has been geared towards ensuring we have sufficient cash. Uh, look, we don't want to take chances. It's never a good thing to to start out of the gate saying you're going to go into production and then not reach that goal. <laughs> uh, yes, we don't want to we don't want to hit that wall. So I, I right now, barring un, unforeseen catastrophes on this planet, like you know, COVID 2.0 or something, yeah. you know, right now we look like we're in very good shape. There's a lot of support for this project uh, at the regulatory level. Uh, you know, the government wants to see mines made. They want mm-hmm. to see jobs. 
So, you know, every it's all systems go right now. Absolutely. Well, it's a really a great story. It's one of my favorites. It's one I've been following now for a number of years, and it's just really very – it makes me very happy to see how well things have progressed. Uh, I know you went through some – some trying times earlier on, but that's always sort of the nature of this business, isn't it? And uh, I want to thank you so much it for is. spending time and, and giving us an update on this. Quentin, thank you so much. And, uh, thank we'll, you, Jay. We'll look to update our, our listeners sometime in the future, in the near future, hopefully. All right, well, that's it for this, uh, that's it for this uh, segment. We're going to be right back with Alistair McLeod after the commercial break, so don't go away. Trading under NVX on the TSX and NVGLF on the OTC is a gold exploration company focused on uncovering the next multi-million ounce gold deposit in North America. With an aggressive exploration season ahead in 2020, a tight share structure, strong management ownership, key strategic investors including Eric Sprott, a globally recognized technical team, technical coverage from industry gold experts, and cash in its treasury. Visit NVGoldCore.com to learn more on this exciting story. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Alistair McLeod with me once again. And uh, thank you for joining me again, Alistair. That's my pleasure, Jay. It's uh, always good to have you here. Uh, have a few weeks, two or three or four weeks between discussions because there's always so much to ask you about. There's so many uh, ideas that are not all that common out there, and that's why we like to have, have you on. Uh, I've talked, sort of titled today's show, Preparing for a Monetary Reset, but, you know, there's been a lot of talk about that in, in some circles, about the likelihood of some sort of a monetary collapse and, a re- and some sort of re- a new system um, to replace the existing dollar system. But, of course, if you mention that notion to most Americans, they will look at you like you need to be hospitalized, and not, not necessarily for COVID-19, but for mental illness. You, you seem to me, uh, Alistair, to be a man of sound mind, a rational person, very rational person, yet you are warning of a collapse of the existing dollar system. Um, uh, last week you wrote uh, the third of the series of articles focusing on the outlook for major currencies. The first concluded that the U.S. dollar is already on the path to monetary hyperinflation. And the second article you concluded that the euro system is close to a collapse as a consequence of combination of failures commercial banks and target two settlement system likely to collapse the currency itself. And then this past week, you made the case for the downfall of the British pound sterling, given that the Bank of England is, uh, is really essentially copying U.S. monetary policy. And because of that, we'll find it increasingly difficult to prevent the pound from escaping the same fate as the dollar. So I'm wondering if you could just maybe briefly take a couple of minutes to say why, and you can't do this in detail, of course, in a couple of minutes, but why uh, you think all three of those currencies are 
headed for the dustbin of history. Well, I think you you, you summed up uh, the difference, perhaps, between what's happening to the dollar and the pound um, mm-hmm. with the euro. The euro is, is, a, is a slightly different thing. They are all already committed to hyperinflation. And hyperinflation, I would define as um, uh, an increase in the quantity of money in circulation, which um, is accelerating uh, and cannot be controlled anymore by uh, the system, if you like, the system being the central bank and, and the government. And we can see this already with the dollar. Uh, for example, um, we've had this enormous stimulus uh, on uh, the first wave of COVID in, of COVID in America. Uh, the budget deficit before COVID was meant to be, and this is for last year, meant to be just over a trillion dollars. The final outturn was $3.4 trillion. Oh, oh, oh. In the second half of the last fiscal year, from March to the end of September, the uh, annual rate of uh, the of the budget deficit was uh, 4.4 trillion dollars. Yeah. Now we've started a new fiscal year um, in America, and um, uh, quite honestly, uh, with uh, the way COVID is coming back for a second bite at the human race, um, I think that $4.4 trillion is actually going to be left behind Mm. in the current fiscal year, and we're going to see even more. And one of the reasons we're going to see even more is, don't forget that uh, last September, we had um, a crisis in the repo market, which showed that we were in effect, at the end of the bank credit cycle. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but if you go back a little bit further, uh, you will remember that uh, there was a trade war between America and China, which, um, uh, in conjunction with the end of the credit cycle, uh, looks absolutely a doppelganger for what happened in 1929 when you had the end of the Roaring Twenties, again, expansion of bank credit, and the Smoot-Hawley Tariff Act, which was passed by Congress uh, in October 1929. And that happened to be the month when Wall Street had its enormous crash. I mean, so over 30% from top to bottom. And guess what? At the beginning of this year, before March, we had a crash of 33% uh, in uh, uh, the S&P 500 index. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, until the 20th of March, uh, when uh, the, the, well, on the 16th of March, the Fed cut interest rates to zero. And on the 23rd, which was a Monday emergency statement from the FOMC, we're going to print whatever it takes to rescue the economy. And at mm-hmm. that stage, the whole thing changed. So we have got the similarity to the situation in that uh, awful time is enormous. But the big difference is that back in 29, the dollar was on a gold standard. Mm-hmm. Um, this time, it is pure fiat. And so the, uh, um, uh, the the way in which this is being dealt with is to print money. We've had one round of printing money, an enormous round. We will have another round. And then when the Fed realizes and the markets realize that there is a slump irrespective of all this money printing, at that stage, people will then begin, and probably foreigners first of all, who owned huge quantities of dollars, $27 trillion at the last count, they will panic. They will want to get out of the dollar. The dollar will go down. The purchasing power of the dollar go, will go down in the foreign exchanges before it goes down domestically. But that will follow. So you can see that the hyperinflation is of the quantity of money. The effect on prices is yet to come. 
So mm -hmm. uh, we've got a similar situation with sterling. Um, I mean, obviously, the details are somewhat different. But mm -hmm. if you look at the euro, which is the other big, big currency, and the one uh, against which uh, the dollar is most measured in trade-weighted terms, the euro has huge, great debts within the banking system. And what they have been doing is they've been shoveling debts out from the national level into the target two system. Mm -hmm. The imbalances in the target two system are now accelerating at a very rapid pace. And it is only a matter of time before that whole system falls over. So that in a summary is, if, if you like, what I see. Now, of course, those aren't the only um, uh, fiat currencies around. Virtually all currencies in the world are fiat currencies. And consequently, um, other currencies will, uh, you know, once the confidence goes in the big boys, it's going to go in the little ones as well. So mm -hmm. I think we're set up for, um, uh, 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 you know, the sort of the next calendar year is really going to be uh, a very, very different thing from anything anyone's seen before. Mm. When you mentioned Target 2 system, uh, could you just explain what that is? Yes, basically, um, it is the settlement system between countries. Mm. So, okay. uh, you know, in, in theory, the way it works is, let's say a German company exports um, machinery to Italy. Uh, the Italian buyer then pays for the machinery um, uh, through its bank, which mm -hmm. is then paid through the Banca d'Italia, which is then paid to uh, the Bundesbank, mm -hmm. and the Bundesbank then credits the money to uh, the bank uh, account, if you like, the, whichever bank it is, whether it's Deutsche Bank or Commerzbank or whoever, uh, which um, uh, offers the banking services to the manufacturer in Germany. Now, in theory, obviously, that would create um, a shortage of money in Italy and a surplus of money in Germany. Mm -hmm. And in terms of what they see in the central banks, that means that the Banca d'Italia would have um, a deficit uh, into the system. Uh, and uh, the 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 uh, um, uh, Bundesbank, Bundesbank would actually have a credit, but that unwinds itself usually because uh, the imbalances are sorted by capital flows the other way. I right. mean, you've got you know tourists going to Italy from Germany. You have got um, you know the, uh, uh, the the investment companies in Germany buying Italian bonds and so on and mm -hmm. so forth. So one way or the other. Uh, the flows go the other way. And certainly until the great financial crisis, when uh, uh, Lehman fell over, um, these things did work in balance. But ever since Lehman, it's, uh, the balances have um, gone askew. And actually what's happening is that the flows have stopped going through. And what local regulators say in Italy, um, uh, what they do is they say uh, non-performing loans, we will deem these performing so they can be collateral, which can be used <laughs> by the banks yeah. to borrow money from the central bank. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that, um, you know, the bad debts go into the target two system and they lead to these imbalances. And that is why you've got these imbalances. It's not Italians opening, uh, you know, bank accounts in, in, in Deutsche Bank or Commerce Bank or whatever. Um, uh, it, it is actually uh, the local regulators trying to get rid of bad debts within their national banking system and dumping it into Target 2. So mm -hmm. Target 2 is riddled with bad debts. And this mm. is very worrying. And I mean, at, at the moment, the Bundesbank is notionally 
owed uh, uh, in the region of 1.2 trillion euros wow. through the target system. Now, wow. if the target two system falls over, what then happens is interesting because the, the Bundesbank has to write off that 1.2 billion euros. Sorry, it's trillion Trillions. euros. Yeah. trillion euros uh, and instead it has a liability which is determined by its capital key now yeah. the capital key basically is its shareholding in uh, the the uh, ecb mm -hmm. and if you just look at the shareholdings of the uh, uh, banks within the eurozone then uh, that means that on current imbalances it looks like uh, Deutsche Bank could be, um, instead of having that $1.2 trillion, they could have a liability of $400 billion. Oh, goodness. So this is a, you, you can see how the situation must be, I mean, the boys in, 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 in the Bundesbank must be terrified of this thing falling over, but they can't do anything because they don't want to precipitate a collapse of the system. Sure, sure. So this is a very dangerous situation. And if you look at the gearing, uh, the balance sheet gearing in the... I think we've lost Alistair. Um, I'm not sure if we can get him back or not. Um, Alistair was talking about... Uh, the Target 2 situation, uh, situation where essentially zombie institutions, as I understand it, are allowed to exist and allowed to, uh, uh, to be retained. Uh, it is uh, not unlike a lot of games that have been played over the years in recent times with, um, uh, you know, when we, when we try to pretend that companies are solvent when they're not, uh, we have gone into situations um, where... Uh, you know, where, where we're trying to we're trying to pretend that things are good when they're not, and we're essentially lying. And like Pinocchio's nose, every lie begets begets a bigger lie, and um, that seems to be where we're at. Um, I'm not sure if we'll get Alistair back to continue some of his thoughts, but I would just say that he has recently written a piece that I wanted to ask him about next, uh, having to do with hyperinflation. He said hyperinflation is here. Um, and uh, essentially, I think he was starting to talk about this. My next question for Alistair had to do with uh, how he knows that that's true. And I think what he was suggesting was that when we uh, uh, that when central banks have no no choice but to continue printing money more and more faster and faster in order to keep the system from imploding. Um, so that is that is where he thinks we are right now. He says that the hyperinflation, he defines it, hyperinflation is a condition whereby monetary authorities accelerate the expansion of the quantity of money to the point where it proves impossible for them to regain control. It ends when the state's fiat currency is finally worthless. It is an evolving crisis, not a climactic event. Um Okay, we have uh, okay, we have Alistair back on the phone. Uh, Alistair, are you with us again? Yes, I'm with you. I'm sorry about that. The internet seems to have dropped. Uh, we've been having troubles in England. Oh, okay, well, it happens to the best of us, Alistair. No doubt about it. Um, well, I was gonna I was gonna pick up on this uh, notion. I think you you're pretty well satisfied the target two question uh, and help yep. me understand what's going on there. It seems to me that it's like a situation where, um, you know, it's one one little lie begets a bigger lie, and you you're continually trying to cover up uh, with bigger lies to cover up earlier ones, and uh, financially speaking. But 
With regard to hyperinflation, your article of uh, October 15th, hyperinflation is here. Mm. Um, if I understand, when you know that that situation, when you know you're in a hyperinflation situation, it's when you can no longer pull back the reins or the, the whole thing will come toppling down. Uh, and so you have to keep printing more and more money faster and faster, I guess. Yes, that's true. I, uh, the, the, there is one um, uh, misconception which I think uh, we ought to address, and that mm-hmm. is that people think that it's a sort of linear relationship between the amount of money printed and the loss of purchasing power for the currency. That oh. is not the case. I mean, basically what happens is that if people decide that uh, they don't want to use the money which the government offers, then mm-hmm. that money becomes valueless. It's as simple as that. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. there are shades between that, you know, in that black and white situation where money is either accepted or it's not accepted. Mm-hmm. And, but, but basically, what happens is that when people realize that the government is bust, uh, mm-hmm. that uh, dealing with COVID, um, you know, has had two huge, great um, injections of money, which is debasement of money, which is... Um, uh, removing purchasing power from money, and the prospect is then of even more. At that stage, you will find that people begin to smell a rat, and they Mm -hmm. will think, I don't want to have any of this money. What I need to do is to get rid of this money as quickly as possible for goods I don't necessarily need, Mm -hmm. but the main thing is to just get rid of the money. Now, Mm -hmm. that is what the Austrians, um, particularly Ludwig von Mises, called the crack-up boom. In other words, it's right. the final flight out of money into goods. Mm-hmm. And uh, you don't need to have a massive expansion of the quantity of money, let's say in Venezuelan terms, in order to achieve that. It can happen actually just through loss of confidence Com- in the public mm-hmm. that the money has any, any uh, value at all. Mm-hmm. So what you're, what you're seeing here when you wrote your article, Hyperinflation, we haven't seen that crack-up boom yet, but what we've seen is the pathology of hyperinflation where the bankers' hands are tied. They cannot, the central bank, uh, the Federal Reserve cannot, uh, ca- cannot hold back on the creating of more and more money faster and faster, it seems, to keep, to keep the system from imploding. And, that, uh, and so it's just a matter of when the confidence will be lost which leads me to ask you, what do you think it will take for Americans to start smelling a rat? Well, I Some think are. Happen in I would two, say a majority. Yeah. I think it will happen in, 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 in sort of two steps, as it were. The first step is that uh, just remember that the foreigners have something like $27 trillion of uh, securities, financial securities, uh, and uh, bank balances, deposits, uh, in, uh, denominated in dollars. So um, they're the people who will get frightened first, in my opinion. And uh, just remember that $27 trillion is like 130% of U.S. GDP or 2019 GDP. So we're talking about more than the whole of the output of the United States being held in foreign hands, um, foreign hands which held it quite happily until this COVID thing started uh, messing everything up. Now, when those foreigners begin to realize that uh, there is real trouble, if you like, in holding dollars, and actually they've got uh, greater priorities, like um, having their own currencies to support their own businesses back at home, which are loss-making and so on and Mm -hmm. so forth, you can Mm -hmm. see that there will be selling of uh, American dollars. 
And we've seen this already with China. China took a decision uh, after the Fed uh, effectively said, you know, we will print as much as it takes back on the 23rd of March. China then changed her strategy to dump dollars in order to stockpile commodities. Now, that, Mm -hmm. if you like, is uh, a variation on the crack-up boom. Here we are seeing uh, a major international player, probably the Mm -hmm. second largest international player, deciding to dump dollars for commodities. That, if you Mm -hmm. like, is their version of a crack-up boom. So I Mm -hmm. think it starts with the foreigners. And then, at some stage, uh, it will be realized in domestic America the purchasing power of the dollar is going down. It's not the prices of things are going up, but the purchasing power of the dollar is going down. And at that stage, I think they will begin to dump it. So it's something that can happen uh, with alarming rapidity. And I think that's a point worth making. Yeah, that's the hockey stick you see in the hyperinflation charts of uh, hyperinflation Germany, I suppose, uh, other places as well. And it happens very rapidly. You could have a gentle sort of rise in inflation, and all of a sudden, boom! It just it just goes crazy. Um, yeah, the crack up boom. So, so the Chinese have smelled a rat. The Chinese have smelled a rat. Ray Dalio and other uh, very smart uh, hedge fund guys have smelled a rat, and they started. <clears throat> excuse me. They started uh, doing exactly that. Now, you know, if you look at the Dow Jones, for example, since the year two thousand, gold has beaten the has beaten it hands down. It's beaten Warren Buffett hands down, just owning gold. You know, you could have yeah. just bought gold and gone fishing or whatever you like to do and done very well. Uh, and and so it's already happening. I mean, uh, gold is performing extremely well. It seems like most people aren't terribly aware of it. My engineer tells me I only have four minutes left. So I want to get to this idea of a monetary reset. Um, China has been accum- accumulating huge amounts of gold. You've talked about it in the past. Russia has done that, too. A lot of the countries that are sort of adversarials, adversarial nations, as the United States has, has chosen to deem them, uh, are, are, are building up their gold. And as you said, China is dumping dollars. They smell the rat. Uh, in, a, on a, in a reset, uh, there's a lot of talk, of course, about using cryptocurrencies. How do you think this might play out, Alistair? And what's your, I mean, nobody knows. I know it's asking you an impossible question. But what are your thoughts on this topic? Well, my thoughts on this is that um, things are likely to happen too quickly for um, a considered reset, if we can put it that way, using Uh cryptocurrencies. Because central banks will like to test these things to destruction before they will actually let it loose on the public. Uh, And uh, there are huge, huge, great um, uh, uncertainties in all this as well, because effectively central bank digital currencies bypass the commercial banks. And uh, the commercial banks, I don't think, are actually going to want to sign up to that sort of arrangement. So this is not something that can be easily done. The second point I would make in the limited time we have got available is that most people who comment on a reset seem to assume that the authorities know what they're doing. I'm afraid they don't. They don't even understand the basics of money and the theory of exchange. And consequently, the idea that they can actually manage a reset, um, I'm afraid, is, is, is um, you know, it's cloud cuckoo stuff. Um, they, they basically have their backs to the wall uh, when it comes to trying to rescue the economy in the current situation. They have a potential banking crisis. They have a potential asset price collapse as well. And they're trying to manage those things desperately. 
the last thing that they want to do is to try and, um, uh, if you like, introduce some sort of new element which just ends up making the whole situation far more difficult for them. So, Mm -hmm. consequently, I think people who think that the authorities have the ability to manage a reset, I think they're completely wrong. I think a reset will come out of the ashes of the collapse of um, of, of uh, uh, fiat currencies, and I think that's mm-hmm. going to be the way of it. The uh, All right, uh, authorities will try and hang on to everything as, uh, as much oh, yeah. as they can, but that's not going to work. Okay, so that's going to be something that comes out of the ashes, and can we hope, we can always hope, uh, what, are, what, are your, what are the prospects of building a, let's say, a cryptocurrency connected to gold or, or silver or something tangible so that it can't get away from them, again, the way these fiat currencies have? Because when we went off the gold standard, it, it messed everything up in the United States. I'm looking at all the charts, all the redistribution of income. It was egalitarian yep. until that point in time. It messed up the capital markets. We no longer have – we no longer know what the price of capital is, so it's destroyed capitalism. Can we have something better that might come out of the ashes, Alistair? Well, I mean, if they try and do uh, some sort of reset with central bank digital currencies or or whatever it might be, basically it's still the same thing. It's unbacked state money, which ultimately, uh, um, if you like it, uh, ultimately its purchasing power depends on confidence and faith in the state. Now, when the state has already collapsed with one currency, nobody's going to have much faith in a second currency. The Mm. only answer is a currency which is backed by gold or silver and actually convertible in the form of circulating coinage. That Mm -hmm. is desperately important. If they do that, then uh, financial stability, monetary stability will return. But Mm -hmm. until then, I'm afraid it would be rather like the situation in France at the time of revolution, they introduced the Assignat, which collapsed. They then introduced the Mandat Territorio, which then collapsed. But the yeah. Mandat Territorio took something like just literally six months to collapse completely. So, yeah. you know, All right, well, the answer is gold and silver and have circulating coinage. Without that, okay. I'm afraid nothing the state does will work. All right. In the meantime, that's what we we all need to do is uh, is uh, as as we're able to is is uh, is trade our, our increasingly worthless fiat in for those uh, for those kinds of assets. Alistair, thank you so much for being with us. It's always a pleasure, and uh, all the best to you and yours over across the pond. That is all the time we have this week, folks. Uh, next week, Lynn Alden, who is one of the sharpest independent macro analysts that I've I've come in contact with for a while, and uh, Corwin Co of Sika Gold will be with us. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Benchmark Metals is an advanced gold-silver exploration company that is rapidly advancing its Canadian gold-silver project to a production decision. Benchmark is nearing completion of its largest program to date, with up to 100,000 meters of resource expansion and definition drilling in 2020. The multi-million ounce potential project is expected to have a new mineral resource estimate and PEA study completed in 2021. The company is backed by the Metals Group management team and believes this aggressive program will be complemented by one of the strongest commodity bull markets in decades. 
visit BenchmarkMetals.com and subscribe to follow their success.